All right, let's put these uh, phones on mute. Yeah, I put got this, mine on. This computer on mute. Do not disturb. I Look. got it on uh, airplane. Oh, you put it on airplane? Is that? I, I do do not disturb, and okay. I actually I started doing that mm-hmm. for the podcast, and then now I just do it for my life. Okay. Like I prefer just yeah. missing messages and then calling people back or messaging people back. It's weird the device that's supposed to make sure we never have to go without messages. We're like, can we just make it that I don't get the messages? <laughs> can I be a human being for a while and not stare at this screen like a hamster on a wheel? Yeah, but that would but, be nice. but we're all part Android now. Yeah, we're all Androids, pretty you know much. I mean? Even though we have Apple devices. Yeah. So, uh, that is Alex Vasella. Hello. Uh, comedian extraordinaire, mm-hmm. uh, writer of yep. his own stand-up, also writer for a podcast. Yep. Uh, and that's Modern Philosophers. Modern podcast? day philosophers. Modern day philosophers. Yeah. Okay, perfect. I saw that on on um iTunes list. You guys make that list pretty frequently. Yeah, we were uh, we made it up to number eleven. And we were just in front of Mark Marin, which feels amazing. Did and you then, screenshot that shit? Send oh, it out to everyone. Yeah, <laughs> I posted that on I posted that on Facebook, and people are a lot nicer to me now. Like, <laughs> Congratulations! Oh, I'm so like, I know exactly what you're doing. Oh, so you're better than Mark Marin yeah, <laughs> for one second. And he was on our show, so it wasn't. It was more friendly, like rivalry than anything. Nice. But I was just like, oh my god, it felt so good. Yeah, you know what I wanted to ask you since since we met before, I wanted to ask you what's the writing process like for a podcast. I mean, it depends on what podcast you're on because some podcasts are like they're explicitly just sketch shows. Uh, but our podcast, so what we do is we have a guest who's usually another comic, but sometimes it could be it could be anybody that Danny just wanted to talk to, and he wants to he interviews them for about half the episode, and it is put in the context of. Um, they interview for a little while, and then they talk about philosophy, like a lesson plan that okay. I prepared. And I choose someone, choose a thinker based on, you know, one of that person's bits or a fact about them, something that will get them to keep talking, essentially. Okay. And then lead into uh, them reading the philosophy on the air, kind of in a crunched down version, and then talking about how they feel about it and their own life philosophy. So it's kind of like trying to press the buttons on them to get them to open up as much as they can about how they see life and stuff. Okay, and that background comes from your philosophy background, not your stand-up background. A little column A, a little column B, but I do have a degree in philosophy. So. Oh, okay, nice. And yeah. from your Who degree... Who says it's useless now, Dad? <laughs> from your degree in philosophy... podcast. So, yeah, popular, more popular than Mark Maron. For so. one second, yeah. Um... What I was going to ask you, from your philosophy in, in from your philosophy, you hear me? Mm-hmm. From your degree in philosophy, yes. what takes you from there to the stand-up stage? I picked philosophy because I wanted to be a comic. Really? Yeah. That I, sounds interesting. Yeah. Two, two reasons I picked it. I started as a music major, actually, because I loved music, and I wanted to, at the time, I wanted to be, uh, I wanted to play, and I wanted to be a music producer, so I wanted to learn how music worked. Then I got there, and I realized, oh, it's not kids going, like, let's jam. It's, like, kids with, like... 800 pimples going like, do you like this concerto? It's in a foreign time signal. I'm like, ugh. Oh, I just so, got super techie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was just like, oh, shit, because music is math. And I was like, oh, uh-oh, your boy done fucked up because he's bad at math. He just likes the guitar. <laughs> so I, I was going like, okay, in music theory. I took uh, music lessons, which I was having a great time doing. That wasn't the problem. And then I thought, okay. I that uh, first semester, I was like, you know, I think I want to do stand up instead of uh, music. And then I thought, you know, I've actually been really interested and much better at these philosophy classes than the music because I'm bad at doing musical math problems. I'm pretty good at having thought experiments and being able to 
kind of uh, you know illuminate my points so that someone else can understand it. And also, music theory and math and anything kind of technical goes on tests. Philosophy is all papers, mm-hmm. and I can write a paper pretty damn good. I suck at tests because I get stressed out. But papers, it's like you have time, you can gather your arguments and present a case, essentially. Okay. That's why a lot of philosophy majors become lawyers, because it's sort of the same muscle. Okay. So... Is it the same muscle that you use when you're writing your stand-up? I'm sure it is to a degree. The thing about philosophy is it, it has a little bit of a, a reputation as like a bullshit useless major. I never... Everyone goes, what are you going to do with it? I'm like, well, I know I'm not going to get a job as a philosopher. What I'm going to do is this is the class I'm best at. I'm going to get good grades. So I'm going to have a – an employer is going to want me because I'm going to be visibly smart. It teaches you to write really well because especially when you are trying to explain your theory about the universe to your teacher, you have to be so careful about the words you pick and anticipate and counter arguments because if you can figure out what your – for lack of a better term, opponent, not usually in an angry way, but whoever is, is reading and receiving what you're saying, what they're going to say, if you can shoot that down right away, it doubles down on making you seem like you know what you're talking about. If you're like, hey, I know you're going to say this. Well, how about this? I've already proved that before you even finish this. Yeah, it's like getting ahead of the opponent. Exactly. And uh, it can be, or it's really, when you find something you really, like a theory you really believe in and that you care about, it can be actually pretty damn fun if you're actually into that. If you're into the, that's the nerdy shit I'm into. Yeah. Just kind of figuring out all that. And then, um, you know, like I said, I picked it a because I was good at it. B because I was like, you know, if I can get the exercise of trying to prove what I feel about whether or not there's a god or not, I can probably figure out what's weird about peanuts on a stand-up stage. So, okay, I wanted I see, that I see extra, where, the, where the connection comes. It in. It was like my training montage. Okay. Yeah. So it was like that's when you were punching the meat. Pretty much. Okay. Yeah. And so so I'm assuming that if you went into your philosophy major and all this knowing that you were kind of going to do the stand-up comedy, mm-hmm. when when were you first turned on to stand-up? Where, what was the moment where you said, like, that's the shit I'm going to do? Um, I always liked it because it was kind of like bonding time with my dad and I. We always liked to watch it. My mom kind of hated it, but we would, like, bond over that. And I always liked it, but I was always like – I. Without thinking about it, I always kind of thought about it like it was a second-class art form. Like it was, you know, there's music and there's film and there's theater and then there's stand-up because that's what kind of TV puts it into this sort of like junk food sort of format and it gives you kind of a bad idea of what it is. Then I found a, a special called Patton Oswalt No Reason to Complain, which ran on Comedy Central in like 04, I think. And it was sort of like a cleaned up version of his first album feeling kind of patent and then some extra stuff that was sort of in between that and the next record. And that I was like, oh my God, this guy's an artist. And he, I feel for it like he's a, he's a nerd like me and I, I get it. And it resonated with me so much. The switch got flipped and I went, oh, I can be nerdy about comedians the way I'm nerdy about bands. The yeah. way I know every Nirvana single I can look up Mitch Hedberg and see what where was he at in his career at certain points. And then he actually died really close to that. So I got into him, and I got into David Tell, and I got into Louis C.K. These are guys that I always, I always kind of had a passing knowledge of, but wasn't like super, super into them because I didn't know that you really could be. And then once I got into that, it just never stopped. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Like, yeah. it, was, it was like basically like you had this moment where it was like, oh, shit, this could be my thing. It could be my like, thing. And also, oh, it's a thing. Yeah. I didn't realize it was like an un- – and it felt kind of dangerous because they're saying fuck and stuff. And I, <laughs> How I would, old are you for context? 32. Not right, no, not right now when oh, this was time? happening, yeah. Um, 17-ish? 17-ish? Yeah. 
Okay. So so it was like a big moment of discovery. Like really other people was. do this. What was the community like at that time when you first found this community of people that were also doing the same shit? Um, let me see. It, it, you know what? Honestly, the, the, the stand-up community, uh, when I would go to New York, because I could only do stand-up properly, I would do it in front of like my friends and these little like parties I would organize, which weren't really all that much. Um, and maybe like an open mic night at college, but I could only like hit it hard when I would go on vacations because mm-hmm. I uh, I grew up on Long Island. But then when I went to college, my mom moved to New York City to our old apartment that we still had. So New York City became home. So I could hit the ground running the second I got off from school. So the community, um, I think the comedy community stays about the same. It's it's always had this kind of beautiful mixture of. It doesn't matter how old or young you are. It's how much experience you have. So you could be, you could strike up a conversation with a guy who's sixty and you're seventeen, but it's you're both you're you're two months in, so you feel like peers. Yeah, you know, it's a it's a weird pocket community where the laws of time don't really make sense anymore. It's oh, like, that's, that's very interesting because I had uh, as a kid, as a youth in New York, like mm-hmm. I feel like everyone who's from New York, New York City has some kind of rap verse written down in a notebook somewhere. We were yeah. all going to be rappers. They're just up in waiting the to bust out once Dr. Dre comes a calling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we were all ready. So we all have that rap. But, you know, like with rap, there's like a very finite window of if you make it to 30 and you don't have a record deal, mm-hmm. wrap it up, do something else. Yeah, but you know, try to be a producer, but like really go yeah. work at Staples. Yeah, like, like really. You, and Biggie said it. You, UPS is hiring. You know yeah. what I mean? So it, it's nice. It sounds refreshing that in comedy, these kind of lines don't really exist. Yeah, it's kind of nice. I mean, there's there's always that sort of specter of, am I going to be too old to appeal to young people? Because that's what a lot of networks think of. But in terms of just doing your stand-up, like, <clears throat> you can be older and just put out albums yourself and have a, a, a following. Like, Rodney Dangerfield didn't make it till he was, like, in his 60s, I think. Like, he went through so many failed iterations and then finally broke then. I don't know if that would exactly happen yeah. again, but it's possible. And even on just on a smaller scale, you can – comedy, I think, is – I think any art form does this, but comedy especially in a weird way encourages it's never too late to just give it a shot. And yeah. you might hate it and you might suck at it, but you can show up to an open mic and you can do it and say, this was always my dream. I'm sick of pretending it's not. I'm going to try. And if, it's, if I suck at it or if I'm just good enough to be a hobbyist – I got that out of my system, and I feel like I'm not a coward anymore. So, oh damn, that's that's real deep. Now, talk to me about a little bit about these open mics because okay. I've gotten a several opinions about how the open mics work. Talk to me about what it's like to do open mics when you're first starting out. When you're first starting out, um, so when I first started, I had it in my head that everyone at an open mic must be good because otherwise, why would they be there? <laughs> so when I started to sit around. And I, I used to sit through the entire mic. It's like, I'm going to learn from everybody. And then after a while, I started to be like, this guy's joke is really bad. But how could it be bad? He's at an open mic. And now I think back on that. I'm like, oh, sweetie, you don't know how bad open mics are going to get once you start getting good. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I, I once I learned to I, – once I got everything I was going to get out of just watching everyone, once I developed a certain amount of skill – then I started to kind of be a little more selective. Like, I still try to hit the pavement a lot. In fact, I kind of drive myself crazy. Like, have I gotten on stage enough this week and stuff? But I know that if I just spend all my time at an open mic, that's not living your life. So I, 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 I as part of my process, I make time to go just walk around for an hour every day. People watch, read books, 
and just do things where I'm going to have something worth talking about because a lot of people just spend their entire lives at open mics doing open mics and that's just sort of snake eating its own tail and like what value are you going to really bring unless you're you know in between mics you're cramming reading literature and news and history and stuff but most people aren't doing that you're just at the open mic kind of fucking around oh that reveal that reveals some insight into your process and mm-hmm. that's that's where i want to go with it next sure. now that you've you've kind of done these open mics mm-hmm. you hit the ground running you hit the pavement and you mentioned that's part of your process is that you make time for just living yes outside of comedy mm-hmm. can you tell me a little bit more about like how that helps you when you're writing Sure. Um, I try to make sure that I, it doesn't always happen, but I try to attempt to have learn one new thing a day or see something crazy every day or see something that I didn't know about before. Even if it's something little, like I just came here and I watched a couple of guys hitch a halal cart to a car, like a, like a car. I was like, oh, that's how they bring those in. Just little little bits of learning about the world. And I try to read a whole lot and I just want to learn as much as I can and live as much as I can because I don't want to be that guy that doesn't realize he hasn't lived his life and is trying to do an art form that prides itself on you having a story worth telling but not have any stories worth telling. Yeah. So I just try to make sure that I don't skimp on that part because it's very easy to just say, I got to get on stage more than anybody and just go into it, into it, into it. But there was a, a musician I like named Jonathan Richmond once who was talking about uh, at his record company, some executive was like, oh, we got this new band in of kids, and they're practicing like 12 hours a day, and then when they're not practicing, they go right to bed, so they're rested, and they're doing scales every day. They're going to be great. And he's like, they're going to stink. They don't do anything but sit in that studio. They got to go do stuff. <laughs> yeah. What are you going to write about? Or what are you going to? What feeling is going to be in your playing if your only reference for living is playing and and talking to a music producer. Yeah, that's definitely the snake eating his tail right yeah. there. You, you're not you got you got no content. You have no co- you, you have you no, content no content or no context too. Right. You need to live in the real world to talk about the real world. Got it. And now one of the things that that I found interesting when I first started putting together this podcast and I'm looking at bits and stuff like that, I don't really understand much about comedy. Mm-hmm. Like I, I I get the basis, you know, punchline setup, etc. That all happens. But I I picked up the co- the comedian's toolbox or comic toolbox. It's a book. Comedy Bible. No, it, it's called The Comedian's Toolbox, okay. I'm pretty sure, or The Comic Toolbox. It's one of those. But it's basically this book about like how to write jokes. I didn't okay. finish it. It's like a how-to. Yeah, it's like a how-to. Did you have a moment like that, or did you just figure out joke writing from trial and error? I figured out joke writing from trial and error, but I do not begrudge anyone that picks up a book like that. Because essentially, when you're watching these specials, you're getting a how-to by example. So like, what I realized much later in in my open mic tenure is it like i felt like i had hit a wall because i just did open mics and i watched comedy i was like i feel like i i'm not getting better past a certain point i'm banging my head against a wall what's wrong and then it dawned on me i was like you know i'm a performer i should learn about performance techniques so i started reading acting books and that made me realize i was performing like all wrong because what you have to learn in acting i thought what you do is you say the joke and you hope for the best and that's not really what you have to do. Uh, what you have to do, uh, and everyone's process is different, but what made sense for me, and I read in these acting books, it's like, listen, you have to essentially think of every joke as you're in a scene. You're imagining having a conversation with someone or you're in a conversation with the audience telling your story, whatever. You have to feel the emotions of what you're talking about, and you feeling that feeling is the funny part. So mm. even if you're angry, that's the funny to them. But if you're not angry and you're talking about something where, like, Lewis Black is really funny because he's pissed 
every time he's on stage. Right. He doesn't phone it in. He's mad because he's mad about when he's walking around all day, and he transfers that onto the stage as well as he does, and his being mad is the funny part. You know? and, and it's almost like method acting. Like, he, he's kinda. he's able to make you feel the madness yeah. because he's able to, like, kind of, like, centralize it and say, yeah, yeah. this is the emotion that I'm going for with exactly. this. Exactly, and kind of learning to shape those emotions. And, and also what you learn later is not being overwhelmed by the emotion. Because if you're talking about something that's sad, like a lot of patent stuff can be, if you just wrote it out, it might be kind of depressing. Mm -hmm. But you have to make sure that you're riding that line of it's enough sad that you're looking at sadness but still in a fun way. It's not just just tragedy now. Yeah. So it's really, it's a very delicate line to walk. Yeah, like I I remember when I had the conversation with uh, Caleb and Mike, Mm -hmm. uh, they they were in for an episode and uh, I think Caleb or uh, Caleb might have mentioned that... uh, uh, comedy is tragedy plus time. Pretty much. So a lot of comedians have to walk this yeah. line of tragedy mm-hmm. and then find the funny within there. When I first heard that phrase, I misheard it. I thought the person said comedy is tragedy plus timing. And I still kind of think that's what it is. <laughs> it's like, oh, you just say the sad thing, but like with the proper rhythm. Yeah, at the proper time. Yeah, yeah. Like if you frame, you know, that still feels kind of right, though. Yeah. <laughs> that's I funny. still maintain that that's not wrong. Yeah. Just, yeah. It's, it's just not the way that person said it, but it's still yeah. accurate. It's like, oh, my God, you can't. Mike, I went to this funeral. You're going to shit your pants when I tell you what happened. It's yeah. Like, it's the same sort of subject matter. And that's what makes comedy is you look at it in this fun or ironic or kind of backhanded way as opposed to just here's the feeling you're you're kind of presenting the feeling in a very very specific way okay um how do you prepare for a stand-up set um so i uh make sure i know all my jokes obviously yeah uh and i sort of know i I have a set list sort of written out i know what i'm gonna hit um if something comes up i will deviate because Mm -hmm. you don't want to just be that stick to the script person because then you start failing but I know pretty much what I'm going to do, barring something coming up. Uh, and I open with something that's going to explain who I am. And, uh, you know, like I used to open with this bit about how uh, I'm so nervous, but I'm also like a masochist. So I go see scary movies and I forget that every time I see them, I'm going to forget the monster. The, I'm going to think the monsters in my house. Yeah. So it's like, yo, they know that I'm really anxious and also... I make it worse. So now that sets up whenever I tell them something about myself. Like, oh, I did this, and it was kind of dumb. Go, oh, yeah, you're the guy who's always nervous, and you can't help but make it even worse. So right. that makes sense. Um, I also, when I'm getting ready for a set, I try to make sure I'm in the proper mindset. Like, I, I try to, like, ramp up every ounce of self-esteem I have so that I'm not just going and going like, I hope this goes well. I have to be like, no, I know it's going to go well. And I got to make sure that, like, remember all the times you killed – and think about whenever you bomb that it's a not that bad b you learned you're prepared for this just try to get myself in the right mind of like i got this yeah yeah so there's two different types of bombing right is there like explain so is there bombing and i'm asking now like i'm asking is there a bombing where it's like yo you know what that shit bombed but i learned what to work on and then there's bombing where it's just kind of like you go up there and it's just blank face yeah you can there's a lot of different ways to bomb uh sometimes you bomb and it's something that you, you go, okay, this is I know exactly what I need to do different. I recorded it. I can listen to it and go, my timing was off here. This line needs to be a little shorter, stuff like that. And then some people refuse to learn that stuff. They just go, fuck this crowd, like every time, yeah. which is not a good way to live your life. How many any. times is it going to be the crowd's fault? Like- exactly. <laughs> and I and I go probably a little too much where I'm I always assume it's my fault, but yeah. I still feel that that's – 
if I'm always looking for something I could have done differently, usually that's going to be the reason. Especially if right. somebody kills and then you go up and bomb, it's probably you. <laughs> you know, yeah. I've learned that one many times in my life. And then, you know, there are the ones where you bomb just because the audience isn't into you or because maybe the host was bad and you're having to dig out of their hole. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's something like that, like if the host goes up, let's say I'm on, I'm on first or second and the host is not good. I try to judge my set based on not how many laughs there were, just how much toward having a better show are we now that I've been on? Like, how much energy did I throw back into the system? Mm-hmm. Like, if I'm not getting anything up front, but I can feel like, oh, I'm not doing a bad job. They're listening, but I'm, I'm digging upward, so there's a few negative notches that I'm trying to crawl out of. Uh, like I did, so a friend of mine runs a uh, sketch show that's kind of like SNL style, mm-hmm. and so they have sketches, and they have a musical guest, and they have uh, people host, and they did it at this little black box theater over in Times Square, and I hosted it, and the opening sketch didn't go great, so I'm like, all right, there's about 100 people here, Worst case scenario, it's just more silence, but I'm just going to try to be cheerleader for the team. My first, like, two and a half minutes doesn't go great, but I hit this kind of moment where I'm like, I don't care, which is a great, that's a great mindset to be like, fuck it. Who gives a shit? This doesn't really matter. <laughs> because you're always funnier when you're not like, please like me. You know, yeah. that's the that's death for comedy. Like, that fuck it energy is, is, is good for yes. the stage. Yeah, yeah. It's like, hey, I like you guys. This isn't going to work out. So, whatever. You yeah. Know, you understood who I am. Right. Um, Communicate understanding that you're trying to communicate who you are and what your jokes, what your points are. And that's the funny part helps you because if you're just like, my goal is to make them laugh. Now you're too focused on the result as opposed to the, I'm trying to connect with you and that will happen or it won't, you know, you get too invested in, uh, it's it's desperation. Right. Like, like you start like reaching for, for jokes that are not working and you go to your repertoire and it's just a mess. And you're just looking out and you're just imagining every girl who turned you down for prom. You're like, Oh my God, (laughs) it's all happening. It's like every bad thing (laughs) happening to you again. It's like you're thinking about every failure in life. Absolutely. Like everyone who ever dicked you over is just there watching going, uh, uh, no, (laughs) I told you weren't shit. Yeah. Yeah. Really, They're just like, Oh, he's trying. Like they they don't hate you. They want you to have a good set. Unless they, you know, there are rooms that are that are rough, but you then, you know, convince yourself like, oh god, it's all everyone was right about me. You know? <laughs> I think it's interesting that you kind of view you view it more holistically than I've heard from some of the other comedians. Okay. Where you're not just going on stage at a show and saying I'm gonna kill my set. You're mm-hmm. kind of looking at the whole picture between the host and the people before you, the people after you. Yeah, there's other and, factors and making sure that the entire vibe is going well. Yeah, because it's my job. My my only job, unless I'm hosting, is to do well for me. But mm-hmm. also, you have to take into account what happened before you and what hopefully will happen after you. So yeah. like I was saying about this um, the sketch show, my first two and a half minutes kind of falter. And I'm just like, all right, fuck it. And then my next joke does pretty good. I'm like, all right, this is nice. And then I was killing for the rest of my monologue. Yeah. And then the show was fine. So I'm like, okay, there are certain points where you don't it's, – it's in between going, I stunk – or they stunk. It's just like, okay, there's a weird dynamic here, and I have to judge it based on how much better did I make it in here. Okay. Especially if you're the host. that Your job as a host is to be the energy monitor. So, so do you, when, when, um, so when you're writing your jokes, mm-hmm. right? Uh, do you set out time to just sit down and write jokes the same way that you set up time for like living, uh, just doing living, my life. living things? So what I try to do, my my new method is, I have, I have a few different ways going at it. One, um, I like to go up at open mics and 
just sort of listen for what people are talking about just to yeah. see if anything sparks something I can just talk talk about because I wanted to get better at just speaking out material and seeing how, how much I could get from that. So, if, you know, if I'm listening to people tell their stories and somebody says anxiety or somebody says depression or someone says school, I go, do I have any stories about school? Oh, I could try this and see if it goes yeah. anywhere. And sometimes I've gotten material from that and sometimes I just got better at, you know, coming up with taglines and on the spot and not being so like precious about the rigidity of making sure everything about this joke has to be exactly how I wanted it. Being like, okay, I'm here to talk. This material is fuel for me to talk. Got you know? it. So I tried to learn that. Um, so my my new method that I'm is working pretty good. I go do a show. I'm going to do a show tonight. I've got like six jokes to do. Uh, I will then go home on the train and I will just try to write either taglines for those six bits or just anything that I think of off of that. So, like, if I write a bit about how I look really young, I'll just say, like, do I have any other opinions about how I look? Any other opinions about how I think I'm perceived? Do I look weak? Do I think I'm... Anything just sort of almost like improv, but just for myself. Okay. And just go and just write until something comes up that sounds like it could be funny. What's a tagline? A tagline is when you've delivered the punchline, like the big punch, and then anything that you say after that's still related is is now essentially like a second punchline mm. is a tagline. Got it. So, and they kind kind of sometimes they sort of taper off, and that's how they're sort of supposed to. But the, it keeps the joke going. Got it. After that initial. Okay. Pop. Yeah. Now, now that you mention it, I recognize it in some mm-hmm. of the stand-ups I've watched. Good. I'm like, okay, I see what. Okay, yeah, yeah, I yeah. see the tagline. It's it's a great like transitional yeah, yeah, piece. Yeah. Also, and you, yeah, you can you can make a segue out of it and just keeps. You just you're just pulling as much kind of juice as you can wring out of the premise. Yeah. Do you write on your phone or yes. are you a pen and paper guy? I write on my. I, I actually I write so much slower when I'm doing pen and paper. I need to put as little time between my brain and the writing as possible. So I need to to type it out. Yeah. So I'm just you know I'll go home on the train after my show and I'll just write anything and then I'll just cut out all the bad parts and then if I go on a tear beyond that, great. But usually I just get one and then I move on to the next one. And move on to the next one. And now those are the things I will bring to an open mic and try them out. Usually about half of them are passable or need some work, but I can work with those. And then if those do well a few times in a row, bump them up to the set and kind of like uh, open with something that I know is good, close with something I know is good. But to make sure I don't get tired of those, sort of like put new stuff toward the middle. And as those new bits get stronger, sort of like make them go move outward. So I might open with something that I used to middle with and then the bit that came after that might be the new closer if I can make those them- thematically work and then just keep adding to how much stuff I have on hand because ah, okay. I'm doing short sets so I okay. can't just like use the same 10 minutes over again it won't work anymore because I won't like it anymore right so so tip- the typical set you're doing right now is about 10, 10 minutes yeah about 10 I did 15 on a rooftop over Facebook live that was actually really really good time yeah 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 what was that like where was that at it was at this rooftop party in Brooklyn, and they film it, and they had a good audience, and you got free beer, and you're over. I opened with, I was like, it was this really beautiful view of like the bridge, and I was like, hey guys, I've never done a show on a rooftop, but that's good because I can't bomb. I can just make you appreciate this view. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so like, you, you can know, just, just divert, divert. Yeah, yeah. Can be you just be like, oh, that's so pretty, the Manhattan that we live in. Oh, he stinks, but you know the Brooklyn Bridge. Oh, the, the, the craftsmanship <laughs> in that beautiful. Is that a seagull? Lonely? Just turn into NYC tours. Pretty like, much. <laughs> that's yeah. a pretty good way to transition. Yeah, I have two things that I want to ask. Sure. You I feel like we I'm move half answering specials. all your questions. 
question just being like, but my process, I wanted to talk about my process. <laughs> I have this process. Wait, yeah. do you have more process stuff? Yeah. Because I'm learning a lot and I hope that at the end I want to do like a, like a, at the end of the interview series, mm-hmm. I want to do like a big wrap up episode where I talk about the different stuff I learned from each okay. of you guys. And I'm already learning some good technical stuff from you in yeah. terms of how to place jokes, mm-hmm. right? And... Uh, so do you have more process stuff? Because that's my see. favorite shit. I love practical I advice. Like more stuff down. I, I read a sketch every morning on the train because I hope to have like an SNL job one day. Wait, so every morning on the train you yeah. make it your job to write a sketch? Just for me. And they're mostly bad, but sometimes they are a little at least amuse me. And what, what does a sketch look like? Like what? Like how do? Like see because I'm used to writing papers and essays for school mm-hmm. or like an article you know for yeah. like a, a news article it's like prose yeah so and some prose writing but what does a sketch look like when you're writing it out so a sketch and i had to learn this later it's kind of like a scene it's one or two characters talking or whatever but the dynamics of it are very specific i don't know all the beats yet i'm kind of learning them so i'm probably going to forget some stuff but it, you have to set up who the characters are uh, let, let's say there's two characters one of them is going to be like the audience surrogate, or for lack of a better term, the normal person. Right. And the other one is going to be pro- proposing something absurd. Okay. So they don't all have to follow that format. Like I wrote uh, my favorite sketch I ever wrote in my life. Um, do you know Ralphie May, the comic? Yes. He just passed. Yeah, yeah. I had oh, a, damn, did he? Yeah, he died. I had Sucks. a writing job for him on his podcast that he had with his wife, and I would write them sketches to do in between interviews. And I wrote them this sketch. I think it probably still had the the structure of a sketch, but it wasn't. T- it was two characters just sort of talking to the camera. Yeah. It was called Roman Polanski's Discount Furniture. <laughs> Do you know who Roman Polanski is? <laughs> I only know him for having sex with underage women. Yeah, that's all you need to know for yeah, this. He's that's a film- all I know. Great filmmaker, horrendous human being. Yeah. <laughs> so I wrote a sketch called Roman Polanski's Discount Furniture, where it's these southern furniture salesman and his wife, and he just happens to be named Roman Polanski. Mm. And he's talking about how essentially being named Roman Polanski has fucked up his life, but he's still really trying to make the furniture business work. Yeah. I, ca- I might be able to find a clip. I'm not sure. But so the basic bones of a sketch... You know, there's the two characters. One's proposing something absurd. One's the normal person. And you just keep upping the stakes. Like, there's a term. I think it's called escalation, where it's just yeah. like there's beat one where that person goes like, wait, what? And you go, yeah, yeah, this crazy thing. And then you just make it more and more crazy. And then you have to end it somehow, either by just on a dramatic beat or maybe flipping it. Like, you know, the classic one is guy goes to the doctor. The doctor says all this crazy shit. And then... He leaves the room, and then the real doctor comes in and goes like, oh, I'm here for your checkup. And he's like, who is that guy? He's like, what guy? You know, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's different what methods. Every school of thought has a, has a different one to do. I just wanted to do the – like the way I learned stand-up, I wanted to kind of know the beats, but I just wanted to practice because I'm learning things just from messing it up. Yeah. So, know, so you're a really technical dude, though. Yeah, I can get really technical. I can get technical. Um. Oh, the shit I wanted to ask you about before before we come back to your process, because I think yeah. your process is going to come up, especially when we get to these jokes, mm-hmm. because I'm definitely going <laughs> to lean on you to explain why some of these jokes work. To Happy me. to do so. Um, but I wanted to talk to you. I've asked everybody so far about Bill Hicks' 12 Principles of Comedy. Oh, yeah, I've read them. I forget what they are offhand. Well, it, it's like a bunch of them, and they get kind of repetitive at some yeah. point. But a lot of them are kind of like just be yourself on stage. Mm-hmm. If you can't be funny, be interesting. Yep. Uh, know your uh, know your roots, uh, pretty much, and and things like that. And I guess the question that I want to ask you is, how much of your stand up comes from your personal experience and your life and growing up? 
Um, I don't talk too, too much about, like, I don't really talk about my, my family much. I'll talk about if I had a story, you know, being awkward at school or something. But um, everything I do, if not autobiographical information, it's always just completely from my perspective. Because yeah. I've tried, as I was starting, I, I kind of tried on all the different sort of styles of comedy. I tried being the ranty guy, but I was, you know... 21 and i look exactly like i do now so no one believed me that i was furious about whatever i was yeah. angry about this is like an angry child yeah it just <laughs> sort of looks like a baby going like this fucking government you know, it doesn't work yeah um and i you know i tried shorter jokes i tried much longer jokes and i sort of settled into kind of what i started out with which was sort of like my jokes tend to clock in at about a minute mm-hmm. and you know uh if you look at it there might be bigger chunks made out of more jokes that are all kind of on the same thing. But when I write down a joke in my thing, like if I'm going to do eight minutes, I'm going to write down eight jokes. I'll probably get to all of them, if not most of them, because that's just about how much they work out. So set up punch makes a lot of sense. That's just how my brain works. And I, I fully admit that like some guys do set up and then an act out and that's the punchline. It's not always just here's the punchline. Here's the setup. Here's the punchline. I just like that rhythm because I find that structure to be fun. Okay. The, the same way, like, I love uh, one of my favorite bands is the Ramones, and they just play the same three chords, but the way they do it, every song is going to be different. So that's the surprise. But I love the structure because you can kind of, or like the blues, you always know, like, oh, here's going to be this note, but how's he going to do it? Right, exactly. Is, is how's he going to hit it? Yeah. But structure is fun. It's like it's like genres in movies. Yeah. So the structure of jokes, because these are, these are things I haven't even heard of yet. Uh, well, obviously punchline I've heard of, mm-hmm. but you've got setup, mm-hmm. and then you got what you mentioned right now, an act out. What's yeah. an act out? That's just like... An act out, I, I'm still kind of trying to wrap my head around what that means. Um, I believe it means like you're going to illustrate your point by essentially doing a little sketch. Right. Like you telling a story and you're kind of act out the part of both people, I guess. Yeah. I don't really do them, so I'm not quite sure what the exact definition okay. is. Usually my jokes end on just my opinion of the thing. Yeah. You know, um, but everyone's got their own style. Everyone's, you know, some people are really physical. I grew up um, mainly listening to comedy albums. So for me, it's all about the words. Mm. But I fully admit you put on the right physical guy and that's just as valid. I have nothing against it. I just don't really do it. Okay. Yeah. Um, However you get to the funny is your business and totally cool. <laughs> However you get to the funny. Yeah. Just get to the funny. Just do it. Yeah. Do you write in your laughs? Like, when you're writing in your joke, do you write in, like, this is the part when they laugh? No, I can kind of read what... The way I write is sort of, like, I can see what the point is. Yeah. And then I just hope that that point is also funny. Yeah. So, um, I don't write in the word laugh, but I kind of know where I want laughs to be. And sometimes it kind of fucks with your brain because you might get a laugh where you don't expect it or not get one where you do expect it. And you have to go like, all right, this punchline sounded different in my head. I guess it sounds different to everybody else. So I guess I'll go with your guys' one. Like, <laughs> you ever have people just laughing at your setup? This uh, is the premature yeah. laugh. Yeah, but those those can be good because then it makes you go, oh, they're going to really like the punchline. Yeah. Unless sometimes they don't. And it's weird. <laughs> it's like, oh, you guys liked the information to that joke, but not so much the joke. Noted. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Maybe I need to flip those around. Yeah. But I like the the Bill. I read the Bill Hicks rules a few years ago. I agree with a lot of them. Um, I. Okay. Let me see if there's any. I'll, I'll I'll point out some of these that I really like and some of them that I I feel I think are right, but I have a little bit of bones okay. to pick with. 
If you can be yourself on stage, nobody else can be you. You have the law of supply and demand covered. Totally agree. The act is something you fall back on if you can't think of anything else to say. That is true in theory, but it's much easier printed than done. Yeah. Because, like, I try to view that now. Like I said, I like to go up at open mics and just talk if I can. Mm -hmm. But there's a certain point where you just can't. Yeah. You're like, well, I got to do the joke. I have nothing to say. And I just think some types of comedy lend itself better to that than others. It's some a, people are some great when they improv. Some people need to write everything within an inch of his li of its life. Right. Like some people can go up there and just kind of bullshit. And yeah. Do, do you think that uh, being a, a more physical comedian would help you with things like that? Like being able to act things out? and, and, and I think so, because movement tends to be more like, let's say you, you have a uh, uh, let's say you move your arm in a bit, and that's the funny part. Right. If they laugh really hard, you might throw in something to try to one-up it, like you do a bigger motion or do two or make a face or whatever. Yeah. If that gets another laugh, now that's part of the joke. You're right. essentially writing on stage but trying to just want, use that escalation thing I talked about and just one-up yourself. But you can do that with words, too. Everyone's got their diff – everyone has their own language is mm -hmm. what I'm trying to get at. Let me see if there's anything else that I like or – Never ask them, is this funny? You tell them this is funny. I feel that's true to a point. I think that you have to test stuff. Yeah. You just always, it kind of goes back to that you don't want to be the guy that goes, fuck this. Like if somebody is on stage and they go, oh, was that too smart? No, it wasn't funny enough. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's never too smart. Well, yeah, that's kind of a dickhead shit. Like, yes. that's too, is that too, is that yeah. too good for you, crap? Exactly. But then it's funny because if you're the kind of guy to ask a person if something is funny, yeah. right? Like, is there, I, I guess I just wonder what rules like that. What he's driving at is like what I was talking about desperation. Okay. Because I, I had someone explain it to me, they're like, Oh, don't ask them what's funny. Tell them what's funny. And mm -hmm. I was like, tell them. And then I realized I'm not. I'm not. A, tell them what's funny. Show who you. I'm more the like. Oh, tell them. Present it as a fact. Right. Prove that you have done the work to say. I'm pretty sure this is funny. I hope you dig it. If not, we're gonna move on. It's gonna yeah. be weird. But you're not going like. Is this funny? Okay. So, it's like it's, all about your like how you present it. Yeah. There's a confidence much. to being sure of like. Hey, I'm the one who did the homework. So if you don't like it, we we gotta sit in that moment. But yeah. I've done my part. Right. Know? Okay. Um, and it's harder when you're doing new stuff because you're essentially asking them, is this funny, with different, you know, intonations. Never ask the audience how you're doing. I agree with that, but also not, that's not super strict. Right? What entertains you? Totally. If you can't be interesting, be funny. Yes. Because if you can tell something that you think is interesting, you might be able to either riff or write later how to put that into a funny way. But just talk about what you care about. And that's what where funny will come from because funny comes from things that attract you. And yeah. You have a passion for. If you don't care about what you're talking about, even if it is mathematically funny, it won't be funny. Right. Exactly. Because like, you don't give a shit. Yeah. I guess that goes back to the the thing about emotion, right? Like yes. Lewis Black works because he's actually he angry when he's talking about these things that make yeah. him angry. And that's why some you know some comics they look like they don't care or they're not trying. And it bugs me because yeah. I don't think like I I never get down on somebody for being bad at comedy. That's not a crime. But if you look like you're not even trying, I hate it because I'm like, why are you here then? Yeah. Try. Be bad and try. That's yeah. what we all have to do to get better. I can. That's a totally valid experience. But be bad and try. Be bad and try. I like that. I look. I love my cracker roots. Get to know your family. Be friends with them. Yeah, you want support. Remember, this is the hardest thing there is to do. I yeah. think being a heart surgeon for babies is a bit difficult too. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I had uh two two guys in here that were they're Marines mm -hmm. and they were like, Yo, the Marine Corps is definitely harder than comedy. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go uh take a trip to New Jersey on Saturday and go knock on doors for like Democratic candidates. I'm petrified. I'm gonna do it so I feel like I did my part for oh, democracy. Shit, you're into politics? But I'm gonna do it, yeah. Um 
play at the top of the intelligence of the room. Oh, yeah, that's a big one for me. Because whenever someone's like, you have to kind of talk down to the audience. I'm like, no, you don't. You have to explain. I'm a big believer in um, use their language to communicate your unique ideas. Mm -hmm. Like if somebody throws in big words, unless that's absolutely necessary to make the joke funny, you're kind of just wasting time. Like I just finished, um, you know, the musical Hamilton. Yeah. I just finished the book it's based on. And it's a great book. It's a great story. The author throws in about three SAT words per sentence. And I'm like, dude, you're making it harder for me to appreciate this phenomenally compelling yeah. story. Knock it the fuck off. You yeah. could just say an easier word. So I think that you should always always assume that everyone is smart because you don't want to come off as pandery. People hate that. And also you don't want to you want your product to be good. So I think that you should always try to meet them halfway in terms of what you're how you're willing to explain but never uh be like well they're not gonna get this so not even gonna try you you'll be surprised at how cool and understanding people can be if you don't talk down to them right and and then also one one thing about like intelligent talk Mm -hmm. for for lack of a better term is that i feel like if you can't explain something using regular words you don't really understand it yourself probably like it's like you're just regurgitating the Mm -hmm. big words that you saw in the textbook yeah explain it to me using only words you would read on the back of like you know a milk carton and tell me about what's trump's doing wrong yeah yeah like give me regular words yeah like i'm not here for this fucking sat spiel um, yeah, I always, I hate comedy. It's like you know I'm teaching you something, right? I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you want to? Somebody ex- uh, explained this to me beautifully. Word, she goes, you want to be the comic that makes someone think, but they never say, oh, he made me think, because yeah. they're too busy laughing. Right. You see, that's funny because one of the I guys, that. one of the guys that we're listening to today is George Carlin, mm-hmm. and I feel like George Carlin is one of my favorite people at that. Uh, between See, I completely disagree. I think yeah? he's a, I think he he's t- a bit up his own ass. Yeah, I I, for, I, I my my co-host uh, Danny was buddies with him, and he was like the coolest guy in the world. I just never really liked his material. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we'll, we'll shit. get into this it. This is gonna be skewed. That's perfect. And I'm like, I I know he was the sweetest guy. I just I never liked his stuff. Yeah. Um. All right. Before we get into these brackets, yes. Um. I'm gonna ask you a philosophy question. Sure. I'm gonna throw it back to philosophy a little bit, and um. I want to ask you about. I forgot what the what the uh, conundrum is or, or what the situation is, but it's mm-hmm. basically if you're you're walking through the forest and you see, let's say, like a military general, he's about okay. to execute twenty people. Yeah, and then he tells you that if you execute one of them, mm-hmm. the other nineteen could live. Okay. If you don't execute one of them, all twenty will die. In this scenario, are we assuming that he's absolutely telling the truth? Yes, absolute truth. Yeah. no deception. Just it's it's, it's yeah. Black and white. Mm-hmm. What do you do? So what you're driving at is something called utilitarianism. Right. Which means it's sort of summed up as the object, the best way to live your life is to strive for the greatest good for the greatest amount of people. Like mm-hmm. almost like making it a math equation. Right. And so that's where you get stuff that kind of gets dark like Machiavelli where he's saying like, hey, if you're the ruler of a country, the rules for you to do the most good are different. You might have to murk somebody yeah. And slip their th- you might have to pull a red wedding like Game of Thrones right. to make sure that your people can eat. Right. So you, you, you have to understand that like what power you have is relative to what you need to do like that. So with a scenario like that, like it's sad you'd have to kill the one guy because right. every other one of those guys might have a wife, might have a family, and you know, it's a real bummer to think about, but 
I think they said it in Wrath of Khan. Uh, Star Trek, <laughs> the needs of okay. the many outweigh the needs of the few. <laughs> this is called Wrath of Khan. Yeah. Um, so what does it say about the people that choose the other one? The people that refuse to squeeze the trigger on one hand because they don't want that guilt. They're like, because you have the option yeah. to just go about your business. Oh, yeah. You'll be fucked for life that you've got to live through that. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I think it means they have a big heart that they can't kill someone. Yeah. You could also argue that it means that they couldn't do what needed to be done for the for the good yeah. of everyone. That they were very that they couldn't see the forest for the trees, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Because you know, if there's no other way to stop that guy, and you don't kill that one person, you're essentially killing twenty people, and right. that sucks. And I, if you can't do it, I get it because I don't know what I would my hand would actually do in that scenario. Right. I like to think that I would save nineteen lives. Right. But it's weird that I'm confessing to a want to attempt murder on yeah, the podcast. Yeah. yeah, I think I would save yeah. the 19 I mean, lives. I'd I kill hope, the shit out that guy. I hope I'd kill that guy just for the good of the... Those other guys probably have dogs and stuff. And, yeah, that's um, going to be the, the sound bite that comes out. Alex Vasella says, I hope I get to kill that guy. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I, I get it, um, but I also think that there's a nobility in actually doing it yeah so and it's fucked up but life is really fucked up i thought and that there was like um what's the uh, is it Kant? is it Kant? no, no not Kant. no Kant. <laughs> a, yeah yeah it's another philosopher yeah, emmanuel Kant. who by yeah, the way Kant. i don't blame you for saying Kant. that's what i was like wait what yeah you know cunt we're, we're learning about what today <laughs> well you know the cunt says that yeah. uh i mean he kind of was a cunt let's be real oh was he he okay, so Kant never he he lived in a small town in I think like Austria or something. He never li- he never ventured a couple of miles from his house. Oh, dude was essentially like online all day for for the equivalent oh, of that time. Oh shit, he's that guy. He was that guy. Fuck. His Twitter avatar would have been an egg. Damn, Just, he's the egg guy. Mm-hmm. That fucking sucks. Yeah, and so. He, but the his his principle was this thing called the categorical imperative, which is if you wouldn't do that on a mass scale, don't do it. Like, hey, should I cut this guy in line? No, because if everybody cut everybody in line, it would be mass hysteria and everything would suck. Right. Which I think that in a lot of cases that totally makes sense. Don't dick somebody over just because you think, well, I'm the only one doing it. It's fine. Right. Because then everyone thinks that, and then everybody does a little bit, and everyone's a little bit shittier. Um. He might argue, because also he was a big, I think, Christian, so like he would say, well, never take a human life. That's a more important imperative. Let those guys die nobly. But you could also make the argument that the imperative would be always try to save as many lives as you can, and if that's the only way that you can save lives, you're still doing justice to that rule of everyone should do as well as they can in any given situation presented to them, and some situations are just real grim, and you got to make the lesser of two evils. Mm-hmm. Got it. So I, I, that's a good explanation for it because um, I do this other podcast called Rogue History mm-hmm. and we were kind of exploring that. Yeah. And then we kind of ended on that note where it was like, all right, so how do you program the AI that's going to drive yeah. you? Because it's like if it's utilitarian, there's going to be situations where it says you as the passenger of this car are going to mm-hmm. have to die because if I don't kill you by making this turn into this hill, yeah. five people might die. Yeah. Whereas as a human, you would be like, fuck this, and just still try to save the passenger, right? I would be kind of annoyed if I paid a lot of money for a car and then the car was like, hey, just so you know, if it's you or a tiny old lady, like, I'm picking you. Yeah, like, you're- <laughs> exactly. Sorry. Yeah. 
She had a small dog with her. That's two lives. That's true. That's two lives, yeah. not one. So we got to figure out yeah. how we're going to program this Come AI, on, man. Elon Musk, please. <laughs> All right. So we're going to get into our first stand-up. Sure. And just a little background on the bracket. I do it every time. And what I did was I took a few of my favorite stand-ups. Mm-hmm. Then I took some suggestions of, for other stand-ups. Put them all into a random generator, and they just created a bracket lined up matchups. Mm-hmm. So it was the simplest way I could do it uh, that didn't purposely put com- certain yeah. specials against each other. Unbiased. Yeah, it was as unbiased as I can make it. Uh, so we're gonna get we're gonna do two matchups today. Mm-hmm. First one is Patton Oswalt uh, talking for clapping, mm-hmm. and Louis C.K.'s chewed up. Yeah. So this is from Patton o- Oswalt's special. Um, and that's the loading screen. I'm raising, a, I'm raising a, a little girl, and all my friends are raising boys. And I, again, th- there's a, oh, well, men and women are just fundamentally different. That drives me crazy when I hear it said, but I'm experiencing it close up, and it's kind of true. <laughs> On my, we all had our kids in April and May of 2009, and I did the math backwards, it means we conceived in July of 2008, which means we all went down to the San Diego Comic-Con and <laughs> circle of friends, and we saw some hottie dresses Electra, and then took our little nerd fuckthorn home, and <laughs> I must breed. Now they're all six. I got a six-year-old daughter. My friends have six-year-old sons. When their sons play and they fight, they'll punch each other and then cry and then make up and then play till they punch each other again, (laughs) till they play. My daughter, Alice, her best friend at school is a little girl named Maymay. And Maymay has really long, naturally curly hair and it's gorgeous. And our daughter has a cute little bob but it's not as long as May's, but it's still adorable. So one day, May is home with her parents and she misses Alice all. So she draws a picture of her and Alice and shows it to her mom. And her mom goes, oh my God, oh, I'm gonna send that to Alice's mom. And she sends it to my wife who gets the email and goes, oh my God, that's, Alice, come here. May drew a picture of you guys. And Alice comes running in and looks at the picture and bursts into tears. And uh, we go, what's wrong, sweetie? And Alice says, Maymay drew her hair longer than mine. (laughs) And the father of the millennium said, her hair is longer than yours. (laughs) 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 Runs into her room, slams the door, and then I got my very first through the door of, of what I'm sure will be many, as I was knocking on it, just leave me alone. <laughs> like if she had had a Smiths album, she would have been cranking it like this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. Why did May May draw her hair longer than mine? <laughs> My wife says, you gotta leave her alone. You gotta let her have her emotions and deal with them. And it broke my heart, but I walked away. I walked away and a half an hour later, my daughter emerged and she had drawn a picture (laughs) 
of her and Maymay, and she drew herself with very long, curly hair, and she drew Maymay bald. <laughs> and she showed it to us and said, could you send this to Maymay? <laughs> What is this Sicilian message shit? <laughs> what? Just fucking hit her, don't... This is creepy, this whole... Don't sign it. Just say I'm looking forward to school on Monday. Because <laughs> little boys are all about punch, and little girls are all about Soon. <laughs> oh my god, I love that joke. The soon is what makes it soon. Yeah, that's soon. I was like, yo, that's that's the end right oh, there. That's so that's good. the punch. I saw him do that bit at Carnegie Hall. It was pretty good. Yeah. Although uh, interesting, what played out is that uh, at Carnegie Hall, he goes, "She's drawn May May," and everyone went bald, bald, like it was. Yeah, knew yeah. it was coming, and then did it. It was pretty cool. That bit's so. Yeah, that's a, it's a pretty good bit, and I think it speaks to one of the one of the, the first principle, where it's like if if you make your comedy about yourself, mm -hmm. you have the law of supply and demand on your side. Yeah, and also there's a there's a principle. I think it might have been Robin Williams or or somebody like yeah. that said like the more specific you get, the more universal you get, mm -hmm. because if you're talking about your experiences and the weird little nuances of it. People will go, you know, that's not quite what happened to me, but that's how it felt, and mm -hmm. that is more resonant than you trying to anticipate what everybody else would feel so he's he's telling this story and the reason why i love one of the reasons i love this bit and why i think it works so well is because may uh, uh his daughter is upset over something that makes no sense to anyone in the room right but we all know that we get upset over stupid shit and plot vengeance like she is so it is instantly relatable or yeah. have watched somebody do that right and he's like, just punch her this way. What is this creepy shit? Well, yeah, like, and it, I thought it was interesting because it just, like, to me, it really spoke about, like, the difference between, like, just men and women, yeah. essentially. Like, it feels like like he's kind of speaking towards how the, the young boys mm -hmm. resolve their things at a very physical level. Like, yeah. punch, cry, friends again until we punch each other again. Yeah. Simple. And what he know? does that's really smart is he gets it out of the way he's like i know it's gonna sound like some men and women are different stuff because he knows that like a lot of his fans are big comedy fans mm -hmm. and that will set off the sensor in their brain going like has Patton gotten hacky and he's like no 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 yeah. also it's kind of true yeah so it, it gives it instant credibility if you're if you're so used to comedy that that would that would give you pause. that would immediately take you there yeah, like yeah. okay this is this is to be like uh and then he's like no 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 this is still specific to yeah. me and still good i also think that it, it's there's a line in there where he speaks about like it, it it's it at the surface level it, it feels completely irrelevant to the joke right when he talks about that they conceived that san diego yeah, comic-con yeah, yeah. that feels completely irrelevant to the joke until you realize that like like when i got to this bit mm -hmm. here is like that's when i realized yo oswald's a total fucking nerd like oh, he's a total yeah. nerd that's what drew me to him in the first place yeah so it's like and, and it's just like that was just a big piece of him yeah Cause that's a big like. Come on, you guys, you and your group of friends all conceived yeah. this around only, San Diego Comic Con. Not only did you go to Comic Con, it made you horny. Yeah, like, it's like that's like the nerdiest yeah. shit I've ever heard and in my also, life. So we have to give credit that for the term "fuckthorn" is 
fucking hysterical. Oh, fuck Thorne is crazy. Fuck Thorne. That's that's like epitome of like self-deprecating oh, humor so though. Good. Just call your dick a fuck Thorne yeah. is crazy. And then he I just realized that now that's further <laughs> set up for the bit, not just because it's there to to talk about having a kid. Mm-hmm. It's there to go like this is the the this is the male brain. You see boobs, you go home, and now there's a baby. Very simple process. Right. Now I'm going to talk about the other sex. It's a bit more complex and kind of terrifying. Yeah. So he's he's given more credence to the punch argument, essentially. Right. Exactly. I mean, yeah, it's it, it's it's phenomenal. So we're going to yeah. check out the other one, which is also equally good. Um, and this, this I, I can already tell this is going to be a, this a one, tough decision. This one's real fraught because we've now discovered that this next person is a sexual predator and is no longer to be <laughs> trusted. <laughs> so I yeah, so this is this is Louis C.K. Yeah, from Chewed Up, and before we even get to your bit, because I feel like we're gonna talk a lot about that. So we yeah. got mad philosophy yeah, questions yeah. there. I talked to one of my my friends, and uh, she's like, "Why are you gonna talk about Louis and not mention?" Oh, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna mention it a lot. Yeah, I'm gonna talk about this. It's about me reconciling <laughs> with a piece of my past. Oh, because this guy's a big deal for you, also, oh, yeah. like he historically. Was, he was my favorite for a while. Patton was my first favorite, and then I changed to Louis. This chewed up is my f- it was my favorite album. Uh, it's in a weird limbo place for me right now because I realized that it did me so much good for my mood. It helped me when I was really depressed. It gave me something to strive for. It inspired me. But this is a guy who literally used his career to hurt people. Yeah. So I can't in- like where I'm at is like I can still listen to this and analytically go this is good. Right. But I'm never giving him another red cent in my entire lifetime because mm. you done fucked up and I don't <laughs> trust you anymore. You done, uh, you done fucked up. You hurt women and you admitted it. And you, then your apology wasn't really an apology. So fuck you. Mm, OK, fuck him. But let's laugh. Yes. So I go to Walgreens. <laughs> I just kept going. I got to buy drugs all the time because I, I, I got kids. Kids are like buckets of disease that live in your house. And you get sick from them all the time. I got sick last week. I had a flu that I caught because my daughter coughed into my mouth. <laughs> Just <coughs> hit me right in the back of the throat. I'm like, thanks, honey. I'm sick right now. I can feel it already. She did this, by the way, because she's trying to tell me a secret. And she thinks you tell secrets into people's mouths. <laughs> She takes her whole face. <laughs> Which is inconsiderate, borderline retarded behavior, if you ask me. <laughs> and by the way, she's five. Five years old. What secret does she have that I really need to hear? Like she's gonna tell me a secret and I'm gonna go, holy shit, are you serious? Oh my God. Honey, I won't tell anybody. That is fucked up though, seriously? She got an abortion on Christmas Eve? Oh my God. She's five, five years old. You know what that means? Nothing that she says matters. She's never said anything actually important in her entire life. I literally could have missed every word this fucking kid has ever said. And nothing would be different. Everything would have been exactly the same. 
I enjoy the things she says. They're beautiful and poetic. I love hearing them, but I don't have to fucking hear any of it. And that's an important distinction. If you're a parent, you just start making it. Because you can't listen to them all the time that they're talking, because they're talking all the time. And they just talk whenever. They don't give a shit what you're doing, or if it's a good time. You, I, I'm in a shootout with the cops, and she's telling me all kinds of shit. She doesn't care, because she's fine. They, they don't, they're self-absorbed people. They have no ability. No five-year-old ever goes like, no, go ahead and finish. I'll tell you after it's fine. <laughs> they just can't. <laughs> and then he jerked off in front of people. Yeah, I mean. Without asking. Well, he asked, but he, not really. You know, what's, oh, what are the details of that case? Because to me, on the surface, what's weird to me is if you're on the phone with someone and you start jerking off, how does a person not hang up, right? Well, the thing about it is, why do you think that's okay to call someone and then jerk off? It's really rapey it's, to do that. It's very, very rapey. Yes. But I wonder if it was just a straight call and then whacking it. Or, like, what was the situation? I, I don't know the details of the call. I mean, people have made the why didn't she hang up argument. First of all, you're probably not going to know that's what it is right away. Second right. of all, I believe these were women he worked with. So mm. they probably had some kind of power over him or, or over over them where he couldn't, uh, they, they couldn't turn off the phone because yeah. it's their boss or someone that they uh, n- needed for a business relationship. Um, and also there's, uh, you know, you're familiar with the term fight, uh, fight or flight. Mm-hmm. What we're learning now is that there's the freeze and appease, which is uh-huh. um, when they talk about enthusiastic consent, which is you say to a woman like, hey, I want you to do this to my penis. Cool. And she has to say, yes, cool. Because if she doesn't say anything, there's a risk that either she's scared and frozen and can't talk or that she will just be afraid of you and do it because she doesn't want you to hurt her. Even if you don't mean that, that's what could be coming across. So you really have to check in and make sure everybody's cool with everything that's going to happen because she might actually be scared. Right. So I can totally imagine picking up the phone going, hey, boss, and then hearing breathing and being like, what is that? And then realizing it's jerking off and going like, uh, what do I do? Is this motherfucker just jerking off right yeah, now? Yeah. So when people are like, just hang up, I'm like, that's, you're, you're not even trying to understand why that happened. That would freak me out. Yeah. You know what's you know what's funny, which is a really funny in, in retrospect, is that in this special, he talks about jerking off in front of the cat. Mm-hmm. And if he was jerking off in front of the cat, he was just jizzing its face. Oh, my God. And then you come to realize that by cats, he meant employees. Yeah, that was some lady. Yeah, like that was a lady. Like, like named Cat. Yeah, like, <laughs> Catherine. Oh. He's talking about Catherine. He's like, yeah. Which made, yo, when I was, wa- I was re-watching this, and yeah. I'm just like, he totally means that. He's being absolutely oh, yeah. honest when You're he like, jerks wow, off in front of the cat. He's even more of an honest comedian than I thought. <laughs> he's confessing to crimes. And that's the silver lining of um, yeah. come and finding out. So why why this joke specifically? Because you actually requested this bit. Yes. So um, why this joke? I love this joke. And like I said, I now have a very fraught relationship with everything he says. But at the time, love this joke because A, the image of uh, a child whispering a secret into your mouth is funny just to think about, but right. also it's like, it's it's almost like Patton's bit. It's like, that's a weird little kid thing yeah. that I understand emotionally, but logically it's like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, I yeah. get you're five. That's that's even weird kind of for a five-year. But that's how you're learning about the world. You, you All kids are a little weird because they're figuring it out. Right. You know? um, it also is a bit about him being a dad, which was how he made his bones, talking about the struggle of being a dad. And it's like we were talking about before with how specific versus universal he's saying something that his little daughter does that's weird and when you say that 
you are being universal because you're saying kids are weird, right? This is how my kid's weird. And everyone else goes, I know a kid that's weird. That's really funny. It's a very, I totally believe that that's your kid's weirdness. Um, I also love the idea that he's in a shootout with the cops and the daughter just doesn't even care. Yeah. Just the, the stakes of that, that he's made it the most extreme situation is a really funny contrast. Yeah. I wonder how many of those are like lines that like, you know, how like, like, uh, Another comedian I spoke to was talking about how, like, some jokes you write and it's just, like, this joke that's on the side that you don't know when it's going to be relevant, but okay. then you feed it into, like, a larger scheme, okay. like, something like this, where it's, like, you're, you're, like, you know, he's talking about his daughter telling him secret, and he has this moment where he could talk about kids just saying anything during the shootout. Yeah, and, and you, you realize they work together. And they work together. Yeah, like, I, I uh, had a larger bit that didn't work, but the opening of the bit was, like, everyone thinks New York's great. It is, but it's a nightmare. New York is a, it's the greatest city. No, it's a nightmare with Hamilton. That's what New York is. Yeah. And that bit, that part would always work, and the rest was mess. I'm like, all right, I have an opener when I need to write another New York bit, but now that's just sort of floating around and I can't use it. Because it's, it's clearly an intro line right. to something better. To but something it's fun better. when you marry those things, especially if it's like years apart and you go, they probably finally, like eureka moments. Definitely. So, all right, so between these two specials, yes. which one do you think is better? Um, it's, it's hard to tell because I've only listened to the Patton one a couple of times. I've heard the Louis one to death. I've also had the drive to listen to the Louis one a lot more. So I, I'm going to go... With the Louis, with the caveat, the Patton one is also amazing. Yeah. Louis is the master, I feel, of dropping the funny thing kind of in your lap and going, hey, it's there. What are we going to do about it? Yeah. Uh, and sadly, he was dropping some things in other people's laps. Um, but Patton is more the wordsmith. And not that Louis isn't a wordsmith, but their, their approaches are different. Louis is all about blunt force. Yeah. Patton is more about strategic, like cracking the code and right. i think both approaches are really interesting i have tried to do both i'm much better at using the words than just going here's the feeling but they're yeah. both important and i feel like they've both taught me a lot of stuff about finding my balance so i'm gonna go the louis i'm not thrilled about it because i hate him as a person now yeah. but so analytically louis, you, you're you're still you're still a good comic louis you're just a monster <laughs> louis winning but you're not forgiving him Yes. Got it. Yeah, like he's he's trying to get back right now, and I'm like, yeah. no. No, 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 no. I mean, I, I want to hear the material about it, though. I want to hear how the material goes because it, it just feels like there's a time in which – you know how like you know how like the concept of hell doesn't work because the concept of morality is not static? Like there were things okay. that would be were, were okay 100 years ago that are not okay now. Yeah, so everyone's idea of morality is going to change based on your historical era. Right, so that would... Yeah, like so, dueling used to be a thing because everyone was real touchy. Right, you now think it's silly. Right, exactly. So it's like the concept of hell would be continuously changing mm -hmm. by that standard. So like with him, it's like if his... Like his morality at the time... Like I, I wonder how it compares, right? To, to what's going on now, what was going on then, and... I hope that his material addresses that well, much more than okay. his apology did, because his apology was kind of like an Emmy speech. Yeah, his apology was just kind of like, yeah, I did that. My bad. Kind of. Here are all my credits. Yeah. All the people who work for me, who I may or may not have whacked it in front of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so so the, the, the apology was a bit tasteless. Yeah. And it is kind of tasteless that if he does save the actual insightful stuff for the special, because mm -hmm. then it's going to be like it's kind of selling the special. Yeah. So where I'm at is 
I like I said, I'll never pay for another. If he makes one, I'll bootleg it and watch out of morbid curiosity. Yeah. But I feel he's got to do a lot more work to prove that he's actually learned something. And I, what you're getting about about moral, uh, relative morality. Ten years ago, it was still not okay to shove somebody in a closet and beat off in front of them. So he knew what he was doing. So he still sucks from back then. He just got caught now. Yeah. And it's still not okay. And I do hope that, like, him getting caught will prove to maybe a kid that is still learning all the rules and hopefully hasn't hurt anybody. You know, men need to, to learn the rules of, like, okay, here's what consent looks like. Here's what it doesn't look like so that they don't accidentally victimize somebody without even meaning right. to because that can happen. Um, that this can be a teaching moment like, hey, yeah, I know you're not making physical contact, but you're actually hurting someone by making them. It should be obvious, but if it's not, here's a here's a lesson in what will happen. Um, so if he comes out in this special and that's his angle immediately, his angle is this is a teachable moment. It was a teachable moment for me. It's a teachable moment for others. Mm-hmm. At the time when this was happening... This not not that it was industry standard, but it was kind of like I abused my power. Yeah, you got a full open heart apology. Does that make things easier for you if that's his approach? It would be interesting. I'm skeptical of him just because when he had the opportunity to apologize, it wasn't really. It reeked of like, well, I got caught, so I have to do something. Yeah, I would. I've been talking about this with some of my friends, and they're like, "Do you think he could come back?" I'm like, first of all. It's a workplace safety issue to have him back because if you have other female comedians on there or on the crew, there's a there's a rapey guy on on set and everyone's acting like it's not a problem. And that's right. a huge problem. That's a really bad message to send. And also, could I, I I'm, I'm pretty sure if he didn't get caught, he'd be he'd do that again. I still don't have uh, faith that he wouldn't do it again even now. So yeah. I'm, I'm very like let's, I, I what I want to happen. I want him to put out like a tell-all interview where he just says everything doesn't lie and we can really gauge whether or not do you actually feel sorry have you learned anything what are you doing to make up for your victims because they were victims have you done anything to help their career because you basically helped destroy their career your manager silenced them and said and threatened them with you can't go after my guy because i'll ruin you you know there's a lot more that needs to be done before he can be back and even then i'd be skeptical but out of morbid curiosity, if that special exists, I will watch it. Yeah. But I'm just I he's ruined himself in my eyes yeah. pretty much for, for good. Yeah, I mean I I would go Louis C.K. in this round also. And I think yeah. that one of the things that I really appreciate about him is um he has a great sense of agency. He's very present and he's one of those comedians that is a white comedian that mm-hmm. throws around the nigga word like it's cake, but mm-hmm. it wasn't used gratuitously. No. It was no. used for a very specific point, a very poignant point. Yeah. And I think that a lot of comedians or a lot of uh, entertainers in general wouldn't take that kind of risk on stage. Yeah, and he uses it essentially for like a one-liner. It's yeah, a pretty yeah. snappy line. He used it for a it's joke clever. that was entirely just like, okay. Yeah, it's like a you misdirection I mean? joke. Yeah, but but it, but it, it's like he knew that the power was yes. about using the word. Yeah. Because the funnier thing to me within that that bit itself is mm-hmm. not even the, the punchline at the end with the coffee. Yeah. It's it's just the, the first the first opening line where he yeah, says, I part. hate the N-word. And he's like, no, 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 not nigga. Mm. The actual yeah. N-word. When a white lady with uh, with nice hair on CNN goes, N-word, you just put it in my head. Yeah, you yeah. You just said the word, you put it in my head. Yeah. Which is a great point. Like, Yeah, that's and, and that's phenomenal. That shit was yeah. genius to it's me. It's very clever. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting that he puts that, uh, it's like the second bit. 
Yeah, it's, it's right at the beginning. Pick. It's right at the beginning. That's insanity. Yeah, it's right at that the beginning. It's borderline wed- reckless. Yeah, it's like wedged between the hey, how you doing? And mm-hmm. the next bit is like him calling his dick like a pig's tail or some shit. Yeah. So we're going to go on to the next matchup yeah. now. Can I run to the bathroom? Yeah, of course. Let's okay. take a quick break. Cool. All right, so we're gonna go on to the next the next matchup on the bracket, mm-hmm. uh, and the next matchup is 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 it's kind of like a battle of the titans almost. Oh, these are like people. This th- these two guys are on the Mount Rushmore of comedy for many many people. Yeah, and I, I would say that has to be almost certainly. Like going back and yeah. looking at some of their stuff is like, oh, I understand. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first one we're gonna look at is Richard Pryor live in concert, yeah. which is back then the specials had terrible fucking names. Because it's yeah. like live in concert is not even like a creative. The album is called Wanted, which isn't great. Oh, either. the album is called yeah, Wanted? It's just the audio and it's Wanted isn't great either. <laughs> it's a great album, though. I wonder how this shit works with Wonderful. just the audio. Because so much Most of, of it translates. The closer is a visual gag, so it doesn't really work. But you, I've seen the, the visual, so I know what to imagine. But mm. the uh, the listeners at home must have been like, what? What the fuck is he yeah. talking like, All right, the rest of this was brilliant, but. All right, I'm just finding the spot right here. Here we go. Boxing a hard hustle, though. I used to box. Freaky-deaky. You're just sweating in. <laughs> That's a fact. That boxing a hard hustle, though. Coke sweat? I used to box in the Golden A lot Gloves. of Coke sweats. I was good in the gym. <laughs> it was in the ring where I had my trouble. <laughs> I was a motherfucker in the gym hitting a heavy bag, you know. Pow! Cause the bag don't move. Cause you get in the ring, niggas be talking about. <laughs> I said, hey coach, what about this shit here? Would that be an act said, out? This nigga moving. Yeah. It's an act out. And I always had to box them dudes that look like they just killed their parents. <laughs> you know, you ever seen them niggas with them big rusty ass hands? Kind of hand you can strike a match in the middle of it. <laughs> and the coach say, stick and move, stick and move. And you be scared when you have your first box around, you be done. <laughs> this is all Man. act out right here, just bobbing and weaving and flailing. <laughs> and I fucked around and left one of them peens out there too long. And I saw this nigga's eyes got real red. And in his mind, I know he was saying, I'm gonna kill them ribs. <laughs> and he hit me with a punch he got from Mississippi. <laughs> it came from Mississippi in slow motion. But my arms say, I ain't got nothing to do with it. 
and he hit me in the ribs and <laughs> and then he saw my other side was weak. He said, oh, you want some air? <laughs> and I kept trying to fall. But my legs was in good shape. They wouldn't fall. My legs just looked at me and said, where in the fuck should we fall? Ain't nobody hit us. Shit, you gonna make us look bad? so good, I thought he was playing conga on my body. Guy said, boop, dee, 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 doo, boop, 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 I start dancing with the motherfucker. Hey, bye, long, bye, 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 And what hurts you most in boxing, like, when you box, right, is the motherfuckers that hit you in the body. I mean, you can deal with them wild swinging motherfuckers, right? Because you just block the punch, get out. But them body punches, Jack, you come out with your guard like this at first, be all up here. Okay, boop, 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 boop. About round five, you come out, come out. <laughs> and you forget your chin is open, right? You be done. You can't hit me in the ribs now. Can't hit you in the chin. Pow! And your legs are the first thing to go, right? Your legs say, excuse me. Uh, I'm falling, I don't know about you. And you be saying, no legs, hang in there, fuck it. And you be down, Jack. You start looking in the audience for your parents. <laughs> Hi, Mom. I'm okay. Referee counting shit, you know, he's like, I don't know what the fuck you counting for. <laughs> I ain't getting up. <laughs> now I'm gonna make sure this fight's over. <laughs> I ain't getting out of the ring till they start sweeping up. And there's always somebody in the audience talking about, get up! Get up! Fuck you! <laughs> so good. That's Richard Pryor, man. That's and so good. You know, one of my favorite things that he does and, and is a consistent thing that he does throughout the whole time is like the personification. Yes. He loves that technique. Oh, yeah. he He's giving a voice to his legs and like spine going like, what are you doing to me? You know, he's yeah. he's he's, a, he's making it into, there's a term called peopling a stage where you're doing a bunch of different characters, mm. but it's all his body parts. Okay. Which is brilliant. Um, I think one, one of the things that Pryor did that was really great was that he was kind of and this is i think why he influenced so many comics later that we almost don't notice it anymore he was very much like i am an open wound of vulnerability here's it's a story about him getting beaten up and not and trying to deal with it yeah and nowhere in that in that thing does he try to look cool and yeah. being cool is the antithesis of being funny because it's not funny it's just cool you know? right so he's like here's everything i did wrong and again and that speaks to every time I've never been in a fist fight, but I go, oh, that's exactly how I would react in a fist fight. Yeah, probably worse, but you know, 
That's a, that, like it, it just it, 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 it's it's a great example of uh, what you mentioned, where the more specific, the more yes. universal things get. Exactly, because it feels like it's a specific experience to him. That once you get there, it's like it's a totally yeah. relatable moment. Yeah, because you can look at that and think of like, oh, I've never been in a fist fight, but I've been in arguments where my legs go like, we should be leaving. Yeah, you know? walk away. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. He he does this a lot throughout this show and so, and some of his other specials that I've seen where yeah. he really um because I mean the the whole thing start he in this in this show. One of the other bits that we looked at was um, he has this whole bit about the heart attack when he gets his yep. heart attack. And his heart and is like threatening him. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, it's like I told you not to breathe. Yeah, and he's talking about the heart attack, like squeezing his yeah. heart and like making him bend on one knee. Mm-hmm. And, and it's this whole bit where he personifies like, a heart attack. I pork. I'm sorry. I hate the pork. And his kids are laughing. I'm just making it work. Yeah, yeah. It's, he's phenomenal yeah. with that. It was a little bit hard to watch a Richard Pryor do punches because he was an admitted wife beater so i was like oh uh that was them that the that deeper was a, you get into these histories of these comedians prior was not a good guy he was a very very funny guy and a very entertaining smart guy but like i read his book he openly talks to me about what's the name beating. of his book was, oh, i can't remember what it's called remember. i could i could google it but it was it was him and then it was written by him and another guy who helped and it's weird because you can see where prior stops and the other guy begins he's like there's a there's a quote in it where he's like i was the only one with money so i was the only one with women's my heroes included don knots this guy i'm like that's yeah. not richard pryor <laughs> the grammar's too good <laughs> all this good grammar yeah, yeah. i was like damn man, on, man. i feel like i want to pick that up now was it a fun oh, read it. funny read um it's it's there's not too many jokes in it it's it's very much his life philosophy okay um but i'm telling you like total wife beater talks about it openly it's it's interesting because you're not used to hearing someone doing something that egregious talking about it that openly yeah. so you judge him but you're also like okay at least he's telling me the truth so i right. can it's there's no gaslighting you know deception about it right but it's then, not like louis apology where it's half an apology not really he's like this is what i did my wife and i used to punch each other in the face it was it was a thing yeah, but then you see that that kind of goes back to the the morality thing about morality changing. Like I'm assuming that book is from before he passed. Yeah, well so, that would make sense. Yeah, so it's kind of like, and he passed what late nineties? No, like two thousand and seven. I want to say two thousand seven. Yeah, so. but it's still not okay to beat a woman in the seventies. They no. all knew it was bad, and they did Sh- it anyway. Sure, I'm sure, but it's it's a different kind of bad. I just feel like it was a different kind of bad back then. Not to justify. I it, know, I know what you're but saying. I feel like there's no one today that would openly like very few people would openly write a book today about them having a thing with their wife where they punch each other in their face yeah unless they had already been caught for it or if it was like a big scandal mm-hmm. or some shit you know like I no s- one's just gonna just blurt it out right now because it's much more taboo than it was in the 70s well it still was taboo in the 70s though and i think that when you get to especially in the same century like there's not that much it's, this isn't 1870 where we're mm-hmm. just we just got back together for the southern reconstruction and there's the rule of thumb which means you can't hit your wife with anything bigger than your thumb yeah. we're not that far removed from it this is a guy who you know lived through when women were starting to speak up about their experiences he didn't give a shit he'd wanted to do lines and he wanted women to not talk back to him yeah he knew exactly what he was doing sounds like an interesting read it is. is it, I recommend reading it. It's a. It's a interest. It's what's what's weird about it. I'm sorry. I keep. No, 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 no. It's good. He always talks. He talks about God through the whole book, and mm-hmm. then basically at the end says he's an atheist. It's kind of weird. Mm. He's like God wanted this, and God gave me MS so that I 
uh, would, would slow down with the cocaine and stuff, and God's trying to tell me to blah. And then he talks about, um, I think his family killed like a possum or some kind of like a like a thing you shouldn't eat, like mm-hmm. a roadkill kind of animal, and drowned it in barbecue sauce. And he's like, that's the moment when, A, I couldn't eat barbecue sauce anymore. Reminded me of looking at that dead thing. And, B, I realized when you die, like, you're done. And I was like, what was all that God stuff for then, dude? Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> it was I mean, more metaphorical, I guess. I guess. Or, or maybe he's just angry at God. And he's not maybe. atheist at all, but he's just angry. It was weird because he describes what I would describe as, like, you know, when I, I'd say, like, I don't believe in God. You, you die and you, you die. And that's fine. And that's what he says. But then he's talking about God like it's a, like it's a character. And it's yeah. almost... I almost understand because he's trying to speak in the language of people. Like, people yeah. understand what God is, so he's using that as, like, a color to the story. Yeah. But also, it's weird that it's like, are, do you believe in God or not? I want I would be interested to hear more, but that was the end of the book. So I wonder if he just personifies things regularly, yeah, as opposed to that being a device that he uses on stage. Yeah, I mean, he's essentially personified. Like, I, I heard a good quote from a book once that was like, um, it was by this uh, guy named Richard Hell, who was in a punk band for a while and then became a, an author. And he goes, I'm not religious, but I do fully get how religious people refer to essentially what happens in life as God. I can understand God as shit happens mm-hmm. and it's beyond your control. Yeah. So I think that's what he was referring to, that kind of idea. Okay. But I'm not sure. Got it. So we're going to go on to George Carlin, another dude that has a quirky relationship with God, but not in this bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, everyone thinks he was an atheist. He was actually an agnostic. Agnostic. He wasn't as extreme as, as you would think. Yeah, that's how I identified for a long time. Yeah, that's like, pretty much what I am. Yeah. Um, because I also can identify God as that. Like, shit happens and it's outside of our control. Mm-hmm. There's some things that we just haven't figured out yet. Yeah, like, there are, there are philosophers that essentially use God when they mean nature. Yeah. Like, Spinoza has a the idea of, like, a God that isn't, like, a guy. It's, like... The entirety like of everything the force. that isn't sort of like it's everything <laughs> that isn't you. It's the yeah. life force of trees and and ponds and animals and all that stuff. Yeah, that's, uh, in it surrounds us. It binds us. It penetrates us. What philosopher is that? Uh, Spinoza. Spinoza, and then, and then, and then that's Spaceballs, and then a little Obi Wan Kenobi. <laughs> Spaceballs. <laughs> I'm like little uh, the Force. Mm-hmm. How do you say Spinoza? Baruch Spinoza. S P I N O Z A. Got it. I'm going to look that up because I like reading about shit like that. Yeah. I always find it interesting. Reading. This is complaints and, and grievances. I'm really sick of guys named Todd. You know, yeah, it's just a goofy, it's a goofy fucking name, okay? Hi, what's your name? Todd. I'm Todd. And this is Blake and Blair and Blaine and Brent. Where are all these goofy fucking boys' names coming from? <laughs> Taylor, Tyler, Jordan, Flynn. These are not real names. <laughs> you want to hear a real name? Eddie. Eddie is a real name. Whatever happened to Eddie? He was here a minute ago. Joey and Jackie and Johnny and Phil, Bobby and Tommy and Danny and Bill. What happened? Todd <laughs> and Cody and Dylan and Cameron and Tucker. (laughs) Hi, Tucker. I'm Todd. Hi, Todd. I'm Tucker. (laughs) Fuck Tucker. Tucker sucks. (laughs) And fuck Tucker's friend, Kyle. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There's another soft name for a boy, Kyle. (laughs) 
Soft names make soft people. I'll bet you anything that 10 times out of 10, Nikki, Vinny, and Tony will beat the shit out of Todd, Kyle, and Tucker. <laughs> Thank you very much. Here are some more people with missing chromosomes who ought to be thrown screaming from a helicopter. <laughs> gun enthusiasts, you know? Oh, yeah, I'm a gun. I'm a gun enthusiast. Oh, yeah, well, I'm a blowjob enthusiast. <laughs> you want to see me shoot? That's so weird from an Cut old man. Yes, and I'll discharge a load for you. <laughs> And I'm not against guns. I'm not one of those mindless Hollywood cocksuckers. I'm not against guns. I'm not against bullets. I'm not even against people shooting each other. <laughs> Shit, shooting somebody's part of the American dream. I don't care who it is. Parents, teachers, kids, fuck them. Let them get shot. Doesn't bother me. But speaking of mindless Hollywood cocksuckers, before Charlton Heston became president of these dickless lunatics in the NRA, they had a different guy. Had a different guy. He's still one of their major spokesmen. His name is Wayne LaPierre. What kind of a name for a gun nut is Wayne LaPierre? Doesn't this sound a little fruity to you? Hi, I'm Wayne. I'm a gun person. Bang, bang! You know what this prick's name ought to be? Biff Webster. Spud Crowley, a man's name, Chuck Steak. <laughs> Here are some more men who ought to be strapped to a gurney and castrated with fishing knives. <laughs> White guys who shave their heads completely bald. You know? They're so ashamed they lost 11 hairs, they're gonna try to turn it into some kind of a masculine statement. I say, hey, you goofy-looking, baldy-headed fuck. Looks good on black guys. On you, it's ugly, repulsive, and disgusting. You want to be bald? Do what I did. Wait a while. Oh, wait, here's the tagline. You're learning. Yeah, I was learning. Here it is. Meantime, there's no excuse for running around looking like a freshly circumcised dick. That's the tag. That's the tag. I read, uh, I read a book about comedy in the 70s. Apparently, Carlin wrote out like all the faces he was gonna make in his act, like it was really, really, really meticulous. Really, so yeah. he's one of those guys, and I totally believe it because yeah. his his word selection is, um, not to say that like prior is not a wordsmith, uh, but yeah, it's, his, just, it's like the Pat and Louis thing. Yeah, it's more technical. Right, his shit is his word selection is you could tell he took time yes. to pick out every specific word, and then even the rhythm at which he says the names, mm -hmm. it's like those names were mad specific. Yeah, and it had less to do with the names and more to do with how they rhymed within yes. the scheme and it's i think carlin said that like the joy he got from stand-up was he liked performing but he loved the moment where he's writing and goes ah like that glee moment yeah. and he i think i forget what the exact quote was but it was like there was a moment when he realized he was a writer performing his own stuff not a performer writing his own stuff right so it was more giving voice to the writing does he have, does he have any novels he, like I don't know if he has novels, but he's got a lot of books. They're okay. mostly just like what I was thinking and stuff. Um, and he gets quoted in books a lot, but 
Caleb is reading some of his books now. Oh, okay. Caleb Barge, previous episode. Yeah. So um, he, he wrote a lot. He was it, a writer. Yeah, that that makes sense because it's like you look him up and he has like twenty fucking specials. Oh yeah, like twenty plus specials, all of which he's writing new material for. Yeah. It was like he he put out material the way like a band does. Yeah. Every two two and a half years, I think he even says it at the beginning of that special. Yeah. He was doing new stuff and he was traveling it all over and then he would phase it out and start over Mm -hmm. which i think is great because you know he also started back in a time where um, recordings weren't as prevalent so a lot of it was thought of as like well you don't record your act or do it on tv you're blowing the act that's your money that's where you do what you tour around you're gonna blow your money because a joke isn't like a song you can enjoy it more than once but not quite the same way because there's an element of surprise so if you ruin that surprise you got to just start over. But that was what he liked. And I think that that's um, something that a lot of modern comics have learned from him and from people who grew up on him is that you shouldn't just be in the same rut. You should always be pushing because you're going to change throughout your life. You should speak to where you're at in that change. That's very compelling. Mm, okay. And then just pull back from certain things as they fit into what you're going through now. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 anything tangential and also what you what you know he his earlier stuff was very silly mm. and then it got less silly and more as my friend miles likes to say the him yelling at the government to get off his lawn yeah because that was who he was becoming as a person that was what he found more more funny toward the end and so your sense of humor is could change your personality could change you could go through a bunch of different life changes you should always be speaking as honestly you as you can to your worldview even if you don't just reveal information just mm-hmm. where you're at in your brain in relation to the world. Yeah. I feel like it's crazy because Carlin is definitely one of my favorite comedians. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I didn't realize until I got to the age I'm at now that he was like the grand, the cranky grandfather that I didn't have. Yeah. And I totally always related him to that. And Mm -hmm. I took so much of his shit as just gospel. Yeah. Like I was just like, yep, that's exactly how I think about government. Okay. (laughs) So that, that was my relationship with Carlin. And it's like, it's, it's just, who are you picking to win this? Let's oh, just definitely get to the prior. I'm not a. I like I said about Carlin. Mm-hmm. I I I wish I liked it as much as everybody else does, but I just don't think it's quite as good as everyone wants to believe it is. It just okay. doesn't do a lot for me. All right, and it doesn't do a lot for you. Like how so? Like you just don't find it funny? Yeah, or? I I think that he was he, he could there. I usually once a Carlin album, I laugh pretty good. Yeah, but. I want to laugh the whole time, and I don't. I see his point, but a lot of it feels sort of like philosophy 101 mm-hmm. with just yelling. Right. Um, and because I think about that stuff all the time, I'm not super impressed by just, hey, you know, time is just this instant. I'm like, yeah, I know that. Like, So when I hear him do this stuff, a lot of this sounds like to me kind of the Seinfeldy observational stuff but ramped up with anger and part of me is like, are you really that angry over Todd's? I yeah. don't, I don't, I don't entirely buy it. Um, I want to buy it, but I just, I don't. And I, I know a lot about Carlin and he, um, he said that he dropped out of school really young. So he had kind of like a chip on his shoulder to prove that he was smart. And mm. I kind of feel that like, it almost feels like a desperation in him wanting you to know that he's smart. Yeah. And I'm like, you're not stupid by any means, but I feel like, you're, you're, I don't feel like he lives up to the reputation of people have of him that he's this like sage genius. I just, I just don't think his opinions were that 
crazy. Yeah. I, I so, But hmm. he influenced a lot of people that I do like. I appreciate him totally for what he did for the art form completely. Yeah. I just don't enjoy a lot of what he did. Yeah, like I'm I'm going Pryor because I think it, he has the laugh out loud funny. Yes. You know, like it's just like Pryor's a dude that you watch his shit and you're you're just you're literally laughing out loud totally. involuntarily. Mm-hmm. Um and it ages perfectly. Yeah, like the, the the Carlin bit. So for for context, that the 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 Carlin bit is from 2001. Mm-hmm. And the uh the Richard Pryor one is from 1979. Yeah. It's talking about 40 years apart mm-hmm. and and 40 years later you listen to some of Pryor shit and it's yeah. like what the fuck? Like people, it's almost as if comedians still haven't fully caught up. Okay. Like to, in to the prior, you mean? Yeah, to the prior. Like in the sense that prior is still relevant. Where you could take that prior joke, yeah. give it to a comedian right now, say the same joke, mm-hmm. and it still works. Yeah, it's it, absolutely timeless. It's it's weird because some comedy, a lot of comedy, just has a shelf life. If you're a political comic, what you're talking about, the references are going to be gone, and mm-hmm. that's just part of what you do. Like if I write a topical joke. It's because I thought of it right away. I know it has a shelf life, but it's fun to talk about. I'm not going to hone it because by the time I'm done with it, if it takes a lot of work, I can't really use it anymore. Right. So, and not that old political comedy can't be funny because if they explain it properly, then it just becomes the, this was the specific moment, but I understand those tropes mm-hmm. still. Um, but the prior stuff, everything that Richard Pryor did was just about how it kind of is terrifying to be a person. Yeah. And that is a theme that is echoed throughout comedy before prior and after prior it's about vulnerability Mm -hmm. and i feel that in carlin especially the carlin stuff now or not now because he's dead but stuff here i don't i feels like he's running away from the vulnerability in fact this whole bit is about how he hates that names sound soft soft yeah it's sort of just like fuck off dude and their names not like the kids named themselves yeah and like i know that he doesn't really think that I, I totally get that this is the bit so i'm not gonna be like he said things that are inappropriate i'm not gonna do that at all right but i just don't love the, the material mm, got it i guess that 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 being a writer first performer second yeah. or being a writer that performs their own stuff mm-hmm. rather than a performer that writes their own stuff i guess that's a double-edged sword in some cases because I feel like from what you're describing, which I totally understand, mm-hmm. it's almost as if like he's doing like one of those one man podcasts where it's just yeah. like you have a person just talking topical stuff and just giving you like uh, their opinions on these very uh, rudimentary yeah. situations but that are going rehearsed. on. But it sounds rehearsed and it's like, very you know, much. that they wrote it and they're on the mic. And it's like, have you ever heard like Dan Carlin do uh, Common Sense? He has a podcast called Common Sense. I don't think so. So Dan Carlin, no relation to George, mm-hmm. is uh, he was like a radio person, yeah. and he has this show. He has one show called Hardcore History. He has another oh, I've show. Heard of that guy, yeah, yeah. So that guy. So he has another show called Common Sense, mm-hmm. which I guess he does with more frequency, and it's about like current political climates, okay. usually. Uh, but yeah, it's like a podcast where he comes on and he's talking about stuff, and you could tell it's rehearsed, and it takes him two months to put yeah. it together, and it's like you could you could hear the punches, and the, but like that's more in tune with the stuff that George Carlin was doing, yeah, it's, and did. It's interesting because that prior stuff probably just as rehearsed mm-hmm. whether i don't know exactly what his writing process was but it feels more spoken than it feels written and some guys just feel more written and that's okay like i, I see that there is a certain he's going for a rhythm in this uh the, in the carlin bit where he's rehearsed how the names are gonna kind of it's, it's like he's playing an instrument mm-hmm. but i feel it feels a little stilted to me because i'm like are you playing them in this rhythm because the material isn't 
quite as strong a point as you would want it to be. But also that was part of what people liked about his rhythm was that it it, it was very cle- clearly written, but it always sounded like him. So yeah. I, I don't really I'm gonna I'm not gonna be like oh well I don't like it so no one should like it. Right. I just, it's just not doesn't do a lot for me because I can kind of see the strings a bit too much mm-hmm. and I just wonder how much of that is just showmanship and not yeah. that showmanship is bad but I, it's a little more than I would like to versus how much substance I think the material should have because the Carl the, the the prior stuff that's showmanship totally he's doing his whole body into it yeah. he's going over here to be this character and this one and he's falling over and stuff and you can tell that he's he's done that so many times that that's been that's the honed bit, yeah. but it feels more like Carlin is having a conversation, and it feel Pryor is having a conversation, and it feels more like Carlin is pointing to a blackboard, right? And it kind of bugs it's me. Like a, a dissertation. Bit. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's funny because now, and like, if you're into him, then totally that was what you liked yeah, about. No, and I mean, totally you could, cool. You could still be into him, obviously. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I it's just like, don't, I'm trying like, not to sound like a bummer right now. No, no. Like these guys are both phenomenal. Yes. You know what I mean? You can't go wrong watching their stuff. It's not like you could go wrong. But yeah. if we're making the distinction, I feel like the blemishes that you've brought up on Carlin is made like seeing the strings yeah. was a good one because when I was rewatching complaints and grievances, one of the things that he does here is like about 35 to 40 minutes of the set is him doing the same setup and punch yeah. with different words. Some of like, the setups are pretty funny. I will yeah. Like, it, right. They are pretty yeah. funny, but that's, that's one of those places where you really get to see the string because throughout the whole thing, he's doing, here's people that should die by this mm-hmm. and presents the person. This is why they should die. And then he does that for like forty minutes, it's a lot, which yeah. which is kind of like it's a respect. Okay. It's like you wouldn't let that premise go, okay? Yeah, yeah. Like it's like okay, keep going. Like and yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. you know. And then at the same time, it's like this had this had way less replay value because now I'm yeah. kind of just used to seeing that string of like, okay, this person should die by this mm-hmm. form, yeah. And that, this person should die by that, that form. That chunk is impressive in its length. I do find it very repetitive. It's, mm-hmm. Here's the vivid uh, description of their death. Then here's something that honestly isn't that bad for people to do. Here's another one. And just, I'm just yeah. like, and like I said. And in every, I'm sorry to oh, cut oh, you no, off, no, no. but in every instance, it's an overreaction. Yes. Like the thing about like, do you really hate Todd's that yeah. much? And overreactions, I, I get that that's the joke and I get mm-hmm. that that's, that can be really funny, but it, it's sounding a lot like, like stuff Seinfeld would be mad about, but Carlin's trying to infuse it with too much force. So I'm just like, can we can we just have a conversation about how you realistically don't like these things, or it just feels, it just, it, it just are you really that mad about this stuff, from Carlin? <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't phrase it any simpler than that. Are you really that mad at guys named Todd? Are you really that mad? <clears throat> All right, so I guess Richard Pryor is moving along. Yep. So Richard Pryor live in concert moves on to the next batch. Uh, Alex. Thanks so much for coming, bro. Thank you. I hope really I didn't appreciate talk it. Talk over you with them, like, but but Emmanuel can't with But say. my process, my process. <laughs> Not at all, man. Oh, and um, uh, you can look at my my Facebook has all my shows. Uh, my Twitter has all my shows, and I have uh, two podcasts. I have Modern Day Philosophers, which is the one uh, that I do with Danny. That's about philosophy. Um, Tony Hawk was a couple episodes ago. The guest oh, wow. list has been crazy. We yeah, you guys have Bruce. a crazy guest list. Yeah, Mark Marin did Spinoza. Yeah, your, your new boy. Yeah, Spinoza. Uh, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to look up Spinoza. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then my other podcast is called Broadway Baby, where my two friends teach me about musicals. 
and uh, <laughs> we're going to do a live episode in January at Broadway Con. So, oh, nice. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. What's Broadway Con? It's, oh. a, it's exactly what it sounds like. Uh, that's what I was about to say. Is it Comic Con for Broadway shows? I hope I get to cosplay. It's like Aaron Burr. This is great. You're going to put your love thorn into oh, something. Oh, yeah. I'm going to get my <laughs> musical theater fuck thorn into my bride-to-be. <laughs> All right, Alex. Thanks a lot for stopping by, Thank man. Thank you so much. Can't wait to do this again. Great.